Hi, I'm Ryan McGranigan, an aerospace engineer, data scientist, and all-around art, design, engineering, and science enthusiast. And you're listening to Origins, the show where we talk with thought leaders across eclectic areas of society about their origin stories and trajectories. The purpose is to highlight these thought leaders across different landscapes, to learn about the pivotal moments in their lives and to illustrate the ways of living that help you actionably re-examine your own assumptions and patterns. To provide ideas and stories to give you pause, bring you excitement, and be origins of new trajectories. How apt to be here at the Goddard Space Flight Center, the spot of the director of NASA's Heliophysics Science Division, Dr. Nikki Fox's first experience and beginning of a long story trajectory with NASA, to record an episode of Origins. The word inspiring is thrown around a bit carelessly, in my opinion, so it is with the utmost respect for the term that I say that Nikki Fox is an inspiration. Her life has grown from studies of physics and telecommunications and satellite engineering at the Imperial College in London and the University of Surrey to an intimidatingly productive career at NASA. Nikki has pioneered the study of heliophysics, serving roles among many as the operations scientist for the Polar Mission, science and operations coordinator for the International Solar Terrestrial Physics Science Initiative, deputy project scientist for the Van Allen Probes Mission, and now the project scientist for the wonderful Parker Solar Probe mission. She has now moved to NASA headquarters where, as the director of the entire Heliophysics Science Division, she leads the administration's efforts for discovery of our interactions with the sun. Nikki is one of the most eloquent, impactful, and fun inaugurators of ideas that space physics has known. I'm delighted to be sitting here in this place, an epicenter of curiosity and an integral piece in so many profound lives with Dr. Nikki Fox. Nikki, welcome back to Goddard and thanks so much for doing this. Thank you very much. It's wonderful to have you on. So I just wanted to mention something that stuck out to me through my interactions with you uh, and just share that here is just how open and enthusiastic and willing you are to help people and, and sit down and be interactive with people. And it's, it's really interesting because I, you know, when I reach out to people to be on the podcast, especially people who are as busy as you are, often their responses are curt, if at all. <laughs> um, and yours was within minutes after I had sent you an email, sure, I'll give it a go. And I thought that was so, so emblematic of, of your, your spirit. And I, I just wanted to know, where, where did that come from? I, I don't know, actually. Um... I mean, I genuinely enjoy talking about, you know, talking about what NASA does, talking about um, just the amazing, incredibly cool things that, that the whole of NASA does. I mean, obviously, I think heliophysics is the best, but, <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's very, very easy to talk about. And anyone who asks me to talk about Parker Solar Probe, you know, usually an hour later, I'm still talking because I just find everything <laughs> about it so... Um, just inspirational and exciting and you know it's blazing a trail it's all those kind of great things that that the mission does but I think it's very um, symbolic of just what NASA does you know we don't do something because it's easy we do it because it's hard I mean sort of paraphrasing JFK but you know we we chose to go to the moon we, we did it you know we chose to go to the Sun we, we're doing it and and it's, it's the things that NASA bring to the table that I don't think any other organization does. And so you asked me to talk about NASA, I'm happy to do it. 
Yeah, and it's 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 cool. I mean, listening to you speak, you've been on an enormous number of stages. You've been on the South by Southwest stage. You've talked with uh, as a, you've given keynotes at basically all the major scientific conferences around the world. I feel like, and and even on the TED stage, uh, and and the way that you speak about science is so eloquent and it's 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 more it, it sounds more like prose and poetry than than anything else and and i'm wondering have you thought about the inner intersection between science and art and is that something that drives how you think about heliophysics so that, that's a really interesting question because i do think there's a huge um, overlap between science and everything i mean you know there's science and music there's math and music there's science and art i mean just looking at some of the hubble images for example how can you not say they're not oh, art absolutely. i mean they're, they're just beautiful and um, my, my daughter is incredibly arty. She, she loves to draw, loves to paint. And uh, she, but the, her big thing right now is doing science images. And so if you come down to headquarters and you walk around, you will see my daughter's paintings and pictures in everybody's offices. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, she painted for my deputy, Peg. She, she uh, painted her a Delta IV Heavy. Um, on a canvas for her birthday and put behind it what was supposed to look like the Whisper first light image. Um, okay. So it was supposed to be like the Milky Whisper Way. Is an, uh, Whisper is the camera on, on, on Parker Solar, Solar Probe. Probe. Right. Yes, and the Delta IV Heavy, of course, launched um, Parker Solar Probe and it has the Parker um, little logo on the side and Venus is at the top because she remembered that, um, I mean, God knows they have to listen to me talk about it all the time, <laughs> but she remembered Venus was the first page place that um we we flew past and so she's you know she's nine years old and she creates this this amazing thing not because she's particularly into it but she knows i am and so she's she started you know downloading pictures of planets and learning how to draw them and and watching her kind of put her her natural artistic side but she wants to include everybody and so she's she's doing that all the time and and um yeah, the, the intersection with the prose, I think I was trained very early. Um, I had the benefit of having um, some media training and the, you know, the sound bite, um, you know, that, that if you want to, if you want to get your point across, you have to do it quickly and you want to do something that instantly everybody's going to go, oh yeah, I know what that means. Mm -hmm. And so I think I, you know, I did benefit from having the media training and actually thinking how to do this. And um, somebody actually commented to me during the Parker launch campaign that I talk in sound bites. Apparently I just have this, somebody said it's like a cascading waterfall <laughs> of metaphors as you talk. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's a really, really interesting. And I think that again is where science touches everything. And often people say, oh, you know, I don't think there's any point in doing that. Why do you, why do you want to go to the sun? And then you start saying, well, you know, um, you know the sun gives you light, it gives you heat, and if you didn't have the sun, you wouldn't be here. Well, do you know that you know it's very, it's a very variable star? It's always changing. It's this, it's the other. And by the way, we live in the atmosphere of the sun, so if you, you know, you have to understand that so that you know what's going to happen here at Earth. And do you like your GPS? Did you use your your phone to get here today? How would you do that if your GPS wasn't working? And it's so easy to take the science that we do and make it really, really applicable mm -hmm. to everybody. And then suddenly people start, oh, okay, I, I understand why you sent that mission to the sun. I, I get it. Interesting. Have you, over your career, interacted with that kind of talking with the general public and, and making your science approachable differently? So for instance, now with your daughter, are there things that she says to you that make you stop and, and think, oh, that, that's how this is impacting someone who doesn't, who isn't as close to it as I am? Um, 
Yes, and it's it's interesting because they are obviously closer to it than most most children are. But the really interesting thing is when I go to the school and I do STEAM Day, and so mm. that they have their sort of STEM events, but they include the A because it has an art component too, and so they are very keen on on bringing art into STEM, which I think is fabulous. But um, you you know that the listening to the questions that the children ask you um, is by far one of the best things to do. I mean, actually remembering the questions that you get asked when you do these presentations is an incredibly important thing because either it means you didn't explain it properly or you dropped a crumb that somebody suddenly went, oh, I want to know more about that. Yeah. And so I do try and, and think, okay, what you know, what did I say today? What, what questions did I get? What didn't work? And so um, I, I usually do four presentations to her grade level um, and I used to do it for my, my son when he was in elementary school too and, and I would listen to the questions I got in the first one and then I would start putting the material into the second one and by the, by the time I got to the fourth one it was quite good <laughs> but, but um, you know the, it's, it's, if you ever want to do anything really scary go talk to a, um, a, a group of, right. of like, um, oh, probably fifth graders they're just starting to get um, little, little difficult at that point and they, they, they want to ask you a question that you can't answer so right. they really want to find something and so they're really going to go after every single thing and so I think you have to learn early on that you just have to say do you know what I don't know that that's a really good question. Why don't you go look it up? <laughs> <laughs> because it's quite intimidating. Children are more intimidating than anybody else. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's just, it, both my brothers have two-year-old children now. Mm. Uh, and it's been really cool just to see them in this completely unique perspective for me as an uncle, just witnessing their interaction with the world and, and their yes. curiosity. Yes. Are there, is, there a, is there a certain question that you've gotten in one of these talks that, that still sticks with you that you think about? Actually, the funniest one is I always get asked by um, the fourth or fifth graders how much I earn. <laughs> really? And, and, and it's so, you know, it's, you, you go in and you're, you've got this message and, you know, you've got four things you want them to remember when they go away and you've got something else. And you, I always, always, always get somebody ask me how much I earn. And I never quite know how to answer Yeah, how do you answer that? You know, if I tell them a number, they're just going to say, oh, my goodness, that's huge because compared to, you know, the $20 they've got in their piggy bank, whatever you say <laughs> is huge. Um, but then I thought, well, do I want to try and say, I mean, that I don't want people to think I do my career for the money because, you know, that's not true. And so what, <laughs> it's a funny question. I kind of stumble over it all the time. I usually make some, if it's, a, if it's too third or fourth graders I'll usually say it's a little bit more than your allowance every week and then everybody laughs and we move on but I find that one derails me every time yeah. I get it yeah it's and I always do unexpected right mm -hmm. yeah. well I, I now expect it but but it still derails me because I never know when it's going to come in my in my flow of my my demonstrations and my talks I'm doing for them and somebody will always say how much you earn yeah yeah it just throws you off yes. I, I love it though because I think that some of the most uh close interaction some of the most real kind of authentic interaction comes from when someone's just completely thrown off mm -hmm. from their normal script and and you kind of see how a person's recovering mm -hmm. uh during that and so it's interesting do you get I mean, you say it's more it, it's sometimes more fun to interact with children because i think that that normal script is thrown off do you get that with your your colleagues at headquarters as well um yes i think so i yeah. mean it um we, we tend to be pretty jokey and playful and and um yes everybody likes to throw everybody off a little bit but the children are, are definitely the ones that are going to throw you off 
Because yeah. they also have to put up their hand and ask you about something that you're totally not talking about. So I'll get somebody that says, you know, my dad it works at Space Telescope or something. And, you know, he's looking at this. And what do you think about such and such? And it's, I've probably never even heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> so you sort of say, I'm sorry, I don't know about that. Can you tell me? And then they usually are dying to tell you something because they've had, or, you know, um, I, I don't know. But, you know, something about, oh, what's the tallest point on on mars and okay that one i know but you yeah. know they'll say what's the second tallest one i don't know <laughs> no idea. <laughs> so usually we try and say well let's let's look it up or let's go to the computer and we'll pull something up and we'll find out and so you have to be a little comfortable with with not knowing the answer right so, it's, um, it's a it's a cool thing i mean because you never know what kind of interactions are going to trigger something that that hasn't been asked yet mm-hmm. but i think i really liked your point um you brought up just a minute ago you're always asking yourself, what am I not seeing? Or, you know, what am I mm-hmm. missing? And I think that, that counter question is, is always so important. Mm-hmm. Um, recently, what, what sticks out to you is, is that, well, what comes to mind is what, what are you missing? Has there been some kind of realization with, answer, with respect to that question? I don't, I don't think there's a sort of a general answer. Um, I, I think there are times where I think I could have explained that better or um, it, it's probably minute things, but... You know when you give a talk and, and it either flows well or if you've got your slides are in the wrong order, mm-hmm. it, you, it really, you know, your talk just doesn't go or you or, or I find I'm, I'm briefing chart three and I'm thinking, oh, I really needed the one and it's 15 and then by the time I get to 15, I'm like, oh, I, should, I forgot to say this earlier. Mm-hmm. And so I, I find that I, I sort of, I analyze my, my talking performance while I'm giving the talk, and yeah. I really need to stop doing that um, <laughs> because that's and I, I'm I'm definitely better, but there are just those days where you're thinking, ah, oh, this isn't working, this isn't working. I should just start stop and start again, but you don't, you know. So, right, interesting. Um, um, so you've made a, a very long career at NASA, um, and I know that you you've spoken and you've actually said that when you were a child, you had this vision in your mind that, that working at NASA was, was the absolute best thing yep. that someone could do. So kind of looking back on your experiences at NASA, how do you think about it now? What, what, um... I think I was absolutely right. I do think working at NASA is the best you can do, or, or working with NASA missions. I, I mean, certainly working at the Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Lab was an amazing, amazing experience. And, um, you know, working with this NASA, the, the, the NASA culture, the technology, the people, I mean... Nobody works for NASA unless they want to work for NASA. I mean, it's, you, you know, I don't think anyone comes here, again, for the paycheck. And nobody just comes and, and puts, you know, a, a few hours in and then, and then what everybody wants to be working here. And everybody feels, I think, that shared mission that you're doing something great as this big team. And that, you know, you'd never be able to achieve it on your own, but with this amazing team around you you can achieve anything Mm -hmm. and you know it was I I was at Kennedy um, a couple of months ago and I heard somebody telling me that you know they'd been over at the visitor center and uh, there was a you know guy walking around and and somebody I don't know how they were talking to him but he said he worked for NASA and they said oh you know that's great what are you doing he said I'm working a a, you know working on a mission to to go back to the moon NASA initiative to, to to put people back on the moon and they, they said oh, that's great what, what is it what's your role in that he said I'm a custodian 
<laughs> but it was that feeling that I'm I'm a custodian, but I'm a custodian for this organization that's going to put people on the move. <laughs> and it was just incredible. I thought, you know, that really is true. You know, you, you don't have people that go, oh, God, I've got to go to work today. You know, it's almost like a privilege to go to work. And I know that sounds a bit odd, but it really is. I mean, you, you know, you, you, you want to go to work. You are doing things every day that are impacting our ability to return to the moon, to go to Mars, to go to beyond Mars. Everything we're doing is is enabling that greater goal. And whether it's sending a spacecraft to the sun and, and um, proving technology there that you're then going to use to maybe send a spacecraft out of the solar system completely um, to another star eventually, how would we do that? You know, and so everything we do is taking one step closer to something that is the giant leap. So. Absolutely, yeah. And, and with NASA, you walk around the halls of a building like this, like uh, the Goddard Space Flight Center, and everyone's just got questions on their mind. They're they're mm-hmm. they're just it's this communal sense of intellectual curiosity that is that I think everyone buys into and, and is so inspired by. And and you've clearly embodied that in your career. And I'm just curious how that's evolved. You know, when you going back to you, I think your first experience at NASA was here in this place. That's right. As a postdoctoral researcher. Yes. And if you know, talking with that person, talking with, with that version of yourself then you know, how have you evolved or what, what sticks out as, as maybe being a little different on your mind now? Um, I think when I first moved here, I was terrified that I wasn't good enough. And so um, I was always worried that somehow somebody would, would say, oh, you're, you, what are you doing here? You shouldn't be working here. Go home. <laughs> and, um, and so I, I, I found it wasn't stressful because, I mean, I, I really did enjoy it. But I, I really felt... Um, that I had to be working super hard just just to earn my right to come to work, and so it, it you know that was a, a very big thing where I kept thinking, are they going to realize I don't know anything? You know, yeah. <laughs> um, how can I possibly compete with all these amazing people who are here? Do you um, still get that imposter syndrome a little bit? Every now and again, um, I, I, you know. Yes, yes, I think I probably do. But um, you know, you you're always you, you're always striving for excellence, and and there is always that thought that um, you know, am I doing am I doing good enough? And I, I find that particularly when I, I struggle with work life balance, um, and so you know, there are just moments where I feel I'm I'm you know I've got to leave work because I've got to go home and take a child to the doctor or something, and I, then I feel I beat myself up because I've left work and I should be working, but then. I, I need to be home with my child. They're sick, and and that sort of I'm 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 not overachieving in both areas, and so I I, I become very self-critical in yeah. that in that situation. Um, but I, I have less of the imposter syndrome now, but I I certainly did at first because it was a very very different thing. I mean, you know, I'd left, I moved from England. Um, I didn't really know anybody here, so it's not like you have you know you're just going down the road. Um, to, to do a job and you've got your whole network, support network, when you come home, I didn't have any of that. And so the, it was a very, very, very big, um, it's probably the bravest thing I've ever done was actually to say, okay, that sounds that sounds great. Yes, I'll do that. And then actually pack my bags and do it. Um, it was quite a brave thing, I think, to do that. Um, certainly for me, I'd never really be more than 
an hour away from home at any point. And so that was that was that was tough. And then just the general feeling of golly, am I really good enough to to, to be here? Um, because of course, when you tell somebody, particularly when you're in England, you tell somebody you work for NASA. I mean, it, people are just like, "Wow, yeah. where you? That's incredible!" You know, and so you've got this sort of well, well, well obviously, I, I better be incredible then. And so I did put a lot of pressure on myself at first. Um, yes, interesting. There's there's so much actually that I wanna that I wanna dive into there. You mentioned something that I think everyone deals with is just that you know this being pulled in so many directions and having so many commitments and things you're passionate about or you know, things that you need to take care of um, that it's hard to even feel satisfied if you're accomplishing or what would formerly have fulfilled you in one area if you're not you know, spreading that across all of these areas. And I'm sure that has, that has only gotten more extreme stepping into a role like the heliophysics director. Uh, have, have you... Do you have practices, ways that you manage that, or you know, what, how do you how do you approach that? How do you kind of give yourself reassurance? Um, so I, I, one thing I do is I get to work very early in the morning, um, and I have a terrible commute. I live in Columbia. I work oh, in DC, so it's a it's a you know it's actually nice to leave early in the morning and get there and so I'm usually in there between 6.30 and 7 and so I have this quiet time in the morning where I can knock off an awful lot of things before the meetings start at 8 and then I usually go full full on with no breaks after that but um, but I take that time in the morning um, to just get things done and and you know and it may be um, paying some bills may be included in that that first hour hour and a half before everything goes crazy but it's that it's that time that I've started now because actually because of the commute I've started taking this extra time and that gives me I, I'm much more calm when I start the you know the the, the craziness that is my usual day mm-hmm. I've had that that time to okay these are the things I need to achieve today you know I'm going to answer all these emails I'm going to um, write my performance review, I mean, whatever it is that needs to be done, write a memo, do something, um, and, and it may be, you know, register my children for camp or whatever, but, yeah. but I've got that time in the morning that I set aside to just kind of do the things that I know I won't get done otherwise, or I'm going to be doing them at midnight. And so I, I, I take that time in the morning and that's actually really helped. And that's, right. that's only been since I've moved down to headquarters because anyone would normally tell you I'm not a morning person. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, it, it's, it's easier to do it that way. I'm, I'm supposed to leave the office um, by about 4 p.m. I rarely do. I'm usually still there at 7. But um, um, I actually am kind of, I, I'm, I'm a total nerd for people's morning routines and people's, how people structure their days. I, how do you specifically structure that? Do you have a, a to-do list or, you know, what is your morning, very specifically, what does your morning look like? You wake up very early mm-hmm. and you get to work, you know, you're probably the one turning the lights on in the morning at headquarters. Sometimes, sometimes, and yes. Do you, I mean, what, what is your morning, what is it structured like? Do you have a to-do list that you follow very closely or? Um, I, I go through phases. Um, I used to be, uh, you know, the queen of the lists and, um, you know, my, my boss at, uh, at APL, Barry Mark, when we worked on, on the Van Allen probes together, he would always say, oh no, you've got a list because I would come in and I was like, these are all the things you have to do. <laughs> and, um, but I would, you know, get that satisfaction of checking them off. And then you get to the point where you're no longer checking them off. You're just adding to them. And mm. then the list becomes 
depressing. Um, and so I tend to think on, on my way into work, I know I've got about a, um, at that time in the morning, it's about a 50 minute commute into work. And, and so I, I, I think, right, when I get into work, I'm going to do this and this and this and this. And then, you know, the, if I run out of time, then I'll do so and so and I'll pick that up or I, you know, we'll try and find another half an hour in the day. But I try to leave work with at least all of the high priority things that I've thought of in the morning on my way in done. And if I can do that, then I kind of keep my sanity a little bit. Um, are there, do you have, um, do you exercise in the morning? Are there other ways you maintain your sanity? Or is No, it... I should exercise. <laughs> and I procrastinate a lot about, about, oh, yes, I'll take gym clothes and I'll go down to the gym at headquarters. And I've been there, what, um, coming up 11 months now. And do you know how many times I've been to the gym? How many times? I went to get my membership card, <laughs> and that's the only time I actually know where it is. And that's it. That's it. And that's so um, I have all these grand plans of, well, I should just do this. But, you know, we have meetings that start at 8, and so the gym opens at 6.30, and it's, it's always that feeling of, oh, if it opened at 6, I'd go. But um, <laughs> I make, I managed to make an awful lot of excuses, but um, it, I should go. I really should go, but I don't. That's funny. Other ways that there's a coffee or a tea or some, some kind of any, any uh, pattern? Oh, I mean, I have a, a very sort of fixed, I have a, a wonderful husband who actually spoils me a lot, but um, he, had, I, I get up really early, and um, by the time I'm ready to go to work, he had, you know, I, uh, he has my, I take my breakfast with me, because it's too early for me to eat mm -hmm. at that moment, and so, you know, he will be there, and he will have put, done my breakfast for me, oh. and, and I've got my, my travel cup of coffee, and I then go to work, and so I drink my coffee in the car, and then when I get to my office, I eat my breakfast, and so that's my, my little, um, every single day and I'm, I have the same thing for breakfast every day too um, yeah what, what is that, I, that we, is, have to, we have to know okay that is Greek yogurt with uh, with almond butter and blueberries in it Oof, and so that's, that's what breakfast. I eat every morning and um and my cup my, my 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 giant thing of coffee I usually drink in the car but um that's my my little sort of routine and so I, I have my breakfast and then um I while well, I'm eating my breakfast and I'm usually you know doing doing emails and things but but I do that every single morning mm. so he's very good he actually gets up and does that for me that's a good routine. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm I'm curious how this this balance between um, you know you're someone who's accomplished so much in in actual scientific discovery and, and generating new um, understanding of our interaction with our star or heliophysics um, from your research. In how at what point at one point you transitioned a little bit to more project management. Uh, with Van Allen probes, maybe, and and now certainly with solar pro or the the Parker Solar Probe, and at NASA headquarters, what has that transition been like? And is it something you still do? You still get um, the same satisfaction that scientific discovery once gave you with the project management side of things? So I think I do. It's it's really interesting because I don't I don't necessarily think I did anything particularly great with scientific discovery, but um, maybe because it's so long ago. But you know, I I um, I transitioned fairly early into starting to work on more of the project management side. Um, I, it was actually still a postdoc here, and there was an opportunity, um, so there was a, a collection of missions that flew together, and it was known as the International Solar Terrestrial Physics, or ISTP program. And part of that um, collaboration was to involve ground-based um, observatories and theory and modeling. And everybody here was very excited about the spacecraft and, and they didn't really have anyone who could um, really integrate and bring in the ground-based community. Well, I've just graduated and I come here with a PhD in um, using primarily ground-based 
radar and magnetometers. And so, you know, um, my fabulous guy worked for uh, Bob Hoffman when I moved here. He, uh, he came and said, I don't suppose you'd be interested in doing this. You know, we, we really need somebody who can coordinate this and look at the polar um, so the polar spacecraft, you know, when, when we should be doing certain types of observing, what we're flying over, you know, when these ground-based networks should be a key part of it. But we really need somebody who can put their arms around this, like, much more um, non-traditional NASA campaign. So bringing in all of these. And it was, um, they, they had some that were identified, but obviously I, I had this, I knew people all over the world because I'd just done my PhD in it. And so yeah, I said, sure, I'll do that for you. And that was the first thing that I sort of jumped into, and I really enjoyed um, bringing people together. And I would would organize the the big um, uh, science team meetings, and and I'd have people from all over the world fly in, and I would put together the agenda. And I really, really liked doing that because I, I love um, talking about science, and and I love listening to things, you know, learning more about it. Um, and you know, I'm not so keen on the actual writing of things on paper, but I really, really enjoy talking about it. Um, and so I, I sort of moved into that. And then um, I, uh, I worked with Mario Acuna, the late Mario Acuna, who was a f tremendous mentor to me, um, who was very happy to say, why don't you do it? You know, not, not the, well, you do all the work and I'll take all the credit, but you go and do this. Why don't you go and do this? And so both he and Bob Hoffman were, were very um, gracious in their in no you're really good at this you should do it and then you know I found myself pulling together all of the stuff for the senior review proposals and 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 so I sort of moved into it gradually but but very early and um you know I, I often say to people if you you know when you start in a career you'll find that what you're really good at or what your natural talents are or what you end up doing you know and I, I so I, I think that um I'm I'm good at bringing people together. I'm good at bringing, you know, ideas together and, and maybe non-traditional ideas and diversity. And I'm big into into the diversity in teams, um, uh, the blending of the early career with the established, and and how to do that. And so that's something I'm extremely passionate about. And um, I, I bringing just different areas of thought, people that um, don't normally come to a, a small science team meeting or inviting them and saying, can you talk about a different perspective of something? Um, and so, you know, I, I, I started doing that early and I did move to the Applied Physics Lab um, and I'd been there a couple of years and then we uh, we started the, was the geospace missions for a part of Living with a Star. So I worked on their definition teams and then sort of continued through that. And at that point I was, I was still doing some research then because, um, you know, Barry Mock had instilled a, in me that you know you need to understand the science um you, so you need to actually understand the data and you need to to know um if you're going to be if you're going to lead people and you're going to lead some challenging egos um you need to be able to speak their language and you need to be able to say no i think you'll find you've got a mistake you're off by a factor of two and actually be right and so you know he was very um keen on you need to take x amount of time and do some science research and write a couple of papers and he was you know, very sort of keen on that. Go to science conference, give science talks. Don't go and give, you know, a mission talk. Go and give a science talk. And so I, I, I managed to, to get a pretty good balance then. But when I started Parker Solar Probe, I was still doing Van Allen probes. And at that point, it becomes overwhelming. Um, you know, you've got two big missions. Um, and so I started working 
Alan Parker sold the probe in 2010, um, and of course Van Allen launched in 12, and so I stayed with Van Allen oh. until about 2013, juggling the two, and then Parker was just huge. And then I have also, you know, other interests. I really like space weather. Again, it's the bringing together of the different communities and the how does something that happens here affect all of these different subsystems on its way down to the, you know, the, the, the Im impact on life and society. And so I was doing a lot of that too. Hmm. You mentioned um, kind of with how science is progressing, we're realizing that it can't be studied in isolation. So mm -hmm. this old single discipline Absolutely. approach uh, no longer really applies and there has to be more of a transdisciplinary kind of approach. Uh, is that something you're trying to bring to the direction of the NASA Heliophysics Division? How do you envision that moving forward or what's your thinking on that? Definitely, definitely for heliophysics. Um, you know, we've, we traditionally maybe have thought in terms of solar, you know, heliospheric, Magnetospheric, ionospheric, thermos. You know, we've had these these sort of split communities, and I, you know, now when we have these constellations of missions, we have them in the key locations, and we are really knowing that that it's the interfaces. You know, I always joke about that. All the interesting stuff happens on the boundary. You know, so you think you understand what's going on in the solar wind. Well, now I explain how it's interacting with all of the different. It's going to go through the bow shock, and this. It, then you've got the sheath, and then you've got the magnetopause, and then and then now you're coming into here, and it's still the solar wind but it looks completely different and so you know we getting the idea of, of getting these communities working together um, identifying as a heliophysicist not a solar scientist is is, is a, a big thing for for me having worked in missions that are very different so you know I, I park a solar probe and so I'm you know all about the sun and the, the solar wind but hmm. Van Allen was all about the radiation belts polar was an auroral mission um, you know I worked with ground-based um, ionosphere uh, measurements and then most recently um, right before I left APL working on the IMAP mission which is you know so I'm going from the the, the inner heliosphere all the way to the outer one with IMAP um, doing the imaging of the heliospheric boundary and so um, that was a, a, I think I really identify with being a heliophysicist because I've actually worked in all of the different areas and I, I see how things from one really affect things in another. And, um, you know, so I, I, I think that's actually a really good good thing. I always say, you know, it's a great time to be a heliophysicist because there are all of these great assets and we can use them together. And uh, we are actually putting out a program um, it's a multidisciplinary, interdisciplinary program. Um, we're calling it HSO for Heliospheric System Observatory, but HSO Connect is the name of the program, and um, it will be for large interdisciplinary teams. And it's it's getting to you know you can't just have your your one um, theory of of turbulence in the solar wind, and you invite your five closest friends, and you that no, that's you're not going to get um, a, an HSO connect. You need to be saying, you know, here's all the interfaces, and that my team is diverse, diverse in thought because you're bringing different mm -hmm. um, aspects together, um, and and really start looking at our system as a whole. Um, and there's a lot of space weather applications to that um, also you know if something happens here and what you actually care about is if your GPS is going to take you to the right place or not right but it starts from the Sun and and you know how does it change as it moves through and you know we've got Parker solar probe for the first time actually in the action region in the transition regions um, telling us 
what's happening, why the solar wind is forming. Um, and, and then, you know, you can measure it all the way through and see how it changes as it comes to Earth. And then you've got this wonderful constellation of spacecraft around Earth. Um, you know, and then looking, we're looking at pairing up missions, so um, creating more like a campaign. So in, um, we have an outer heliosphere initiative right now in a guest investigator call that is not for a given mission. It is for the outer heliosphere. And you can use any of the current, you can use planetary, you can use you know whatever um, assets you want to propose to this. Um, and then you would actually, you will have be a guest co-investigator on IMAP, not, you know, so a future mission. So now we're going to bring new science ideas into a future mission. And so, you know, how do you, how do you make these communities is something I'm really passionate about. And so, yes, breaking down the, the boundaries and getting people to say, you know, first of all, I'm a heliophysicist. And then, you know, I'm a space scientist. I mean, you know, we work with planetary because just because it doesn't hit our planet, it may hit Mercury. It could hit Mars, it may hit Jupiter, and you know, um, the planetary division has amazing assets all over the place too. And so, what are they seeing when we see something happening from from the sun? What is Voyager seeing all the way out there? What is Ibex imaging? You know, put it all together. How does our star now? Now you you know we're making um, certainly starting to make progress on how our star works. What does that tell you about how another star works? You know, when 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 are you going to see stellar flares and stellar winds? And is the stellar wind driven by the same processes as the solar wind? And so I really think this just it is amazing um, opportunity to do cross cross division, um, interdivision. Why would you just want to study this one thing? There is so much more to do, and we have all these things in the right place. Yeah, I, I love that, and I think that the message resonates across society. Um, you see a lot of the great thinkers, such as maybe Norbert Weiner comes to mind saying that the, the greatest progress comes at the space between fields. Absolutely. And and, and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm paraphrasing there. But th there's also places like the the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT Media Lab. Mm -hmm. uh, and and uh, I, we talked about it on the show before, but uh, the director currently, Joey Ito, calls the term, he uses the term anti-disciplinary there. Mm. Um, and what they're talking about is is work that cannot be accomplished within any traditional disciplinary boundaries. Right. And I think that resonates a lot with, yeah, with what you're it, saying. It, it does, and it, we've got these amazing opportunities right now. So yeah, and it, it's 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 from my own early kind of kind of early career perspective, it's really interesting that the idea of kind of a next generation principal investigator, someone who leads these mm -hmm. projects and missions and thoughts, uh, is something that yourself and and your colleagues like Thomas Sabukin, who leads. Uh, the NASA Science Mission Director at headquarters. Um, so, so what are you, what is your thinking? I mean, what what does the next generation PI or principal investigator look like in your eyes? And so, I think they look like absolutely anyone. I mean, there there is no cookie cutter. Um, we want to get away from that idea that you have to be this, this, and this to be a PI. Um, you know, um, Thomas has actually started a, a initiative called the PI Incubator. And so, mm -hmm. how do you um, how do you give people who who you know are not lucky enough to to be me so you know I, I I got to be project scientist of of these amazing missions and I'm I have all this great experience because of that but there's only one Parker solar probe so there's only one project scientist position available on it so how do you bring uh, what's how do you get people to get these skill sets if maybe they're at they're not at 
NASA Goddard Space Flight Center or they're not at JPL or they're not at APL. Mm. Um, and so how on earth are you um, going to get experience with space hardware? How are you going to prove yourself to be a PI? And so he, you know, he's, he started with a, a workshop basically finding out well, what, what does the community think, what kind of tools, and then you know, looking at how do you get the, this experience to somebody. And so, you know, the idea of saying, well, if you're going to be a PI of a, of a mission, you should have a deputy PI who is not necessarily, you know, fresh out, but, but an, either an early career or somebody that hasn't done this kind of thing before mm-hmm. and have them learn and shadow you. You know, take a deputy project scientist and, and say, hey, this is how you... That's what happened to me. Barry Mock was, you know, fabulous, mm-hmm. fabulous project scientist. And I was his deputy. And, you know, he just said, you, what, what do you need? You know, let me give you the tools. And I learned a lot. Actually, I learned a lot about how to teach people by watching him teach me, to be honest. But, mm. um, you know, the, there was once where I'd gone to an engineering meeting and, and I was nervous because, you know, um, I didn't really know all the answers to everything. And I was asked a, a point, you know, point question by one of the engineers. And I, it was basically a yes or no answer. And I picked the wrong one. And so, but I, I, at the time, didn't have the confidence to say, I don't know, I'll go and find out. I said, yeah, I, I don't think so. I think we're good. And then I went back and I asked, Barry, I said, you know, told Barry, and he said, oh, no, oh, no, 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 that was a bad thing, bad choice, bad choice. And so I thought, oh, no, you know, this, and then I immediately stopped panicking, I'm going to lose my job, and I was like, no. And so he said, I'll, I'll fix it. And he fixed it by sending an email to the engineering team that just said, you know, I am terribly sorry uh, Nikki's just come back from the meeting and she's told, you know, told me about this discussion and I don't know what I was thinking. I gave her the wrong information. And, you know, um, but this is, you know, we, we've, we've talked about it and, you know, that, so uh, she's going to send you a note with the right information and fortunately we were able to talk and we came up with this thing. And he sent this email and of course I come in and I see it and I said, why did you cover? Why did you do that? And he said, well, you, you need to respect yourself when you go back into that meeting. And if I said, yeah, Nikki was wrong, I'm sorry, I'm smart and I'm telling you the right answer, he said, you're never going to be able to go back into that meeting. He said, so I've just empowered you. He said, but don't give them the wrong answer again. And I said, no, no, I've, I've learned my lesson. I will say, I don't know. I will go talk to Barry and we'll come up with an answer and I'll come back. And it never happened again, actually, but it was an amazing thing of just empowering somebody by saying, you know what, that was my fault. He said, I have, you know, I've been a project scientist. I have my reputation. People know this, that, and the other. And he's, people know I can be wrong. It's not a problem. But he totally um, just built me, built me up in their eyes. Uh, you know, I come back with this answer, and we discussed it. And I, you know, thank God for Nikki, kind of thing. It was, it was amazing. And so, you know, the the protecting and making sure that you you don't let somebody fail. You have to make sure that you are going to invest the time to make people succeed. Make make opportunities people to succeed what what an amazing story and clearly you've thought about it since and and sat with that and kind of internalized that lesson Mm -hmm. and i think it's i want to i want to just stay on it for a minute because i think it's really important for everyone it's it's um you've clearly had these wonderful Mm -hmm. mentors in your life you've mentioned bob hoffman and barry mock and and mario acuna so these wonderful people you've had the opportunity to learn from in building your trajectory have you been very deliberate? How have you tried to identify the people you would surround yourself with, considering how important that network is uh, for for a person to learn from? I mean, I, I I think I've actually just been incredibly lucky that I I did get to work with such good people and people that really believe in 
giving opportunities and that um, weren't out to take all the credit for themselves. I know other people would not have the same stories and the same experience that that, that I had. Um, but I do think, you know, you, sometimes you do have to work with people that are not a Mario Kojima. There's lessons right? in that as well. <laughs> and yeah. there's lessons in that. And you, you sort of have to learn how to protect yourself if you mm -hmm. find yourself in that situation. Um, but I was extremely lucky. I do try and emanate all of the good that they that they showed to me to other people. Um, you know, I, I'm I will always say if you do a great job, you should take the credit. If something bad happens, that's on me. You know, and I'll I'll so I try and do what Barry did. You know, mm. so I'm I'm not going to set you up to fail. But if you if you succeed, then you should be out there saying, look, I did this. This is amazing, aren't I? Great scientist. And I'll say, wow. You're, you're a great scientist, um, but I, if 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 we make a decision and it's bad, then that's not on you; it's on me because mm. I made the decision. And so I do try and do that, um, so that you know it's it's no, no one is going to feel, no one's going to feel they failed, or or at least you know we'll we'll, we'll face it together, kind mm. of thing. Um, it doesn't happen very often. I make it sound like disasters happen all the time, but <laughs> um, but you know the making sure people are equipped. And giving them the confidence to go and do things. And so, you know, if you're um, sending somebody to represent you at a meeting, you know, I, I make sure if they're particularly now, if they're going out and they're representing the Helio division, and, you know, it's, it's is, your, is the presentation right? Do you need to go through it? Are there notes? You know, and, and I have amazing people that help do all this, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, that, that put together the package and say, okay, do you, do you understand it? What are the, do you need takeaway? You know, what is it? So what can I help you with? Because you're now doing me a favor. You're going to this meeting and you're giving a presentation because I can't get there. And so I appreciate it. And, and what tools do you need? And, you know, and you're going to do great, you know, and, 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 and then following up when usually I'll get people that say, oh, so-and-so was at, you know, we were at X meeting and so-and-so gave a presentation. They did really well. And I will make sure to say, oh, I heard that you did a great job at the town hall on Monday. How, how did it go? How do you think it mm. went? And so that kind of just that sort of little follow-up. Um, so passing the the lessons yes. that you learned from your mentors on yes. to the people you get to mentor now. Yes, um, and just that you know, from Mario, it was always um, oh, <laughs> he was a little bit tougher. He was more of the, of course you can do it, get in there and do it. You know? <laughs> um, but uh, you know, yeah, he he was always, why why do you need me? You do it. Um, and, and and that's another form of empowerment. It, it of is. Course, yeah. It is. It's a little more scary, but it is. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Which is sometimes the best best way to learn, just kind of be thrown mm -hmm. in the deep end a bit. Mm -hmm. um, thanks for sh for sharing that. Um, I, I'm always so interested because I think a lot of times, especially maybe on a show like this, you get filtered um, kind of what survives in people's mm -hmm. memory. And that oftentimes is something that's very positive or mm -hmm. they'll, they'll share their successes. And so I'm always interested in times of struggle that people have dealt with and I'm I'm curious uh, across your career or just life in general. Are, are there times of struggle that have taught you lessons or that you continue to think about? Um, yes, I mean the the, the big one is um, my husband dying um, when actually I was away in at AGU oh, and um, uh, he so sorry you know it was I, I didn't uh, no no warning at all and um, and he worked here at at Goddard Space Flight Center and and at the time my children were one and three and a half. And, um, you know, I won't belabor the story. It was obviously very traumatic, but actually learning how to rely on other people, 
um, because you have to you have to know that you cannot do everything. You've got two really small children and a very demanding job. And how are you going to balance that? And the way you balance that is by actually allowing people to help you. And so um, I don't know whether it's the the British in me that does that. No, no, I'm fine. But <laughs> you know. Um, but I, I couldn't. I mean, there were there were just days where it was like I I'm not fine and I'm really not okay. And and people actually want to help. That's the other thing you learn is people really want to help you, and it, you know allowing people to help you. And so that was obviously a struggle. How do you how do you put all of these pieces in place? How do you get from the morning? And, and, and now you've, you know, you, you, you've got all the way through the day and you've safely put the children to bed and, and there's that, you know, that, oh, I survived another day kind of feeling um, until you start to, you know, obviously things do improve. But um, that was one where I, I found the incredible support of the whole community. And, um, you know, I actually, I went to a Parker Solar Pro uh, Science meeting a couple of months ago and I hadn't really had a chance to talk to the whole team um, since we launched because I was the project scientist we launched and um, a few weeks later seriously three weeks later I started my job at NASA headquarters wow. and so um, I you know I, I just rolled from one thing into the other um, and I hadn't really had a chance to talk and so you know I, I went to the meeting and of course I'm giving the overview as the helio director this is all exciting you know, it's a great time to be a heliophysicist and everything's great and and I said you know I'd like to take a few minutes just to to say thank you you know because um, you were just an incredibly supportive group of people when I was going through this awful thing and you never let me fail. You know, it would have been very easy just to either write me off and say, oh, clearly she can't handle all this because, you know, of these circumstances. Um, but, you know, there were things like going to, to team meetings and I'm one of the PIs would say, would you just like to come and have dinner um, uh, with my wife and I tonight? Um, because it's, it, it's probably a little overwhelming if you have to go out with a group maybe we just thought you could come and you know if you just would like to do something quiet there were those things where people did that that reach out and with my husband working here um and everybody knowing him there was a huge huge support from the entire nasa family for um people i didn't even know that would come up to me at a meeting and just say you know i, I know who you are and i just wanted to say you know you did a great oh, job wow. kind of thing and so um I, 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 you know, you rely on your team, your team becomes your family, and, um, you know, and I, I really felt like there were so many in the NASA community that knew either me or knew John or at least knew the situation that went to that extra step just to say, how are you doing? Or, you know, I tell you what, you sit down, I'll get you a cup of coffee. I mean, it was the little, it's those little things that make such a big difference. And so the swell of support um, that came from that, and I, I shouldn't um, dismiss the Van Allen community was equally as good. They really <laughs> were, um, and uh, and actually, you know, that they, that I was in the middle of in the midst of that. Um, so it was two years before we launched, and so, uh, but you know, that entire NASA family that just said, you know what, we're not going to let this person fail, and and for a while, she's going to need help, and then you know, and it it it, it was there. So that would be. But learning to be able to accept that help mm. was was a big thing. Thank you. I think it's it's remarkable because you you are someone who everyone else would point to if you ask anyone who embodies and cultivates that NASA ethos of 
togetherness and openness. I think that you would be on the tip of everyone's tongue mm-hmm. for that. And so it, it's it's just been really wonderful to interact with you just from my own perspective. And I know other people share that sentiment. Oh, so you. You, you, that. you certainly embody that around NASA. So I think this is this is a good time. At the end of every episode, we do kind of a quick, I call it a lightning round okay. of four quick questions. Um, no, don't ask me myself what I had. <laughs> no, no. How much do you earn? Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe if I had a the 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 more curious mind, but ah yes, we just run through some kind of quick question and answer lightning round. Are you ready for lightning round? I am. Okay. The first question: What is one book that you feel has impacted you, like unlike anyone else? Um, it's it's very recent and it's hidden figures. Hidden figures. Yes, okay. and that honestly was because I I didn't grow up in the U.S. and I didn't grow up with the idea of the segregation or anything like that, and I found it um, inspiring from from the woman point of view, but also horrific from um, just the inequality point of view. And you know, I I kind of felt at one point, you know, we're NASA, we should be better than that, and and so that made a big impact on me to make sure we always are better than that and we are embracing diversity and we are giving opportunities for everybody across the entire agency and so um, it's a it would be a recent one but that had an enormous impact on me ah, as, as well as many others did you enjoy the film as well I love the film no. uh, we own the film and we watch the film all the time I use it to inspire um, a lot of little girls um, and um, a, a lot of different um, you know my, my friends have extremely diverse Friends of all backgrounds, all cultures, all colors, all, you know, I mean, and I I use that to inspire everybody and to let people know that even if you look not like that, you need to be embracing people that do look, you know, it's, it's that kind of, um, you you know, just, I I guess it goes back to the somebody's, you know, how would you describe a scientist and everybody sort of describes like a 50 year old man or whatever it is and and that's that's what you think a scientist Mm -hmm. is and then so I actually really like to do that kind of thing with the kids you know how would you describe this kind of person and you know how would you describe an aeronautics engineer and somebody will usually describe somebody who looks a bit like their dad and then I will show them all of the women and this this was when I was at APL but these are all the women that work on Parker Solar Probe in all of these different roles and you know he is he is the different backgrounds and he's and it's not even just women but it's the different look mm-hmm. people look different and it's okay for people to look different but we are all Parker Solar Probe and it's an important lesson and so Hidden Figures was one that that really kind of pushed pushed me to do that a little bit more than I was before. I love I love the 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 book and the film as well. Number two, what passion outside of your own field has most importantly helped set your trajectory? Wow, um, probably I really enjoy public speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, I I did a lot uh, a lot early on, and um, I think the passion for um, Inspiring people to follow, not necessarily, it doesn't have to be science, you don't have to be a rocket scientist, but follow what's important to you. And, um, you know, I mean, I, I recently said to somebody, you know, if you love it, just do it. I mean, why wouldn't you? And so if I can in any, that that's something that is a big passion for me, is, is inspiring people to do better or to be the best person they can. Um, and, you know, it's it might be yelling at my son because he hasn't couldn't be bothered to do his homework because it was <laughs> easy and I keep saying to him just because it's easy doesn't mean you shouldn't be giving it your best you know and right. and, and you I'm, I'm not accepting this because 
you're better than that. Um, and so it's it's how do you how do you bring out how do you empower people to be the best person they can be? How do you make them feel that they can do it? And that's a very big passion for me. Number three, what is your latest and most consuming passion, or, or what is making your heart sing right now? Um, well, I guess it was Game of Thrones, but it's that's finished now. But that was a satisfied with the ending. No, totally not. But what is consuming me right now? Um, well, it's the summer, so uh, making sure that the children are are very um, active and not sitting on their Xbox all day. Um, but <laughs> but actually, it's it's now my latest passion. Really, I'm I'm kind of being flippant, but um, is really uniting the heliophysics division. That is something I came in really wanting to do to, to mend some of the divides and to really get everyone to identify with that. So I know that's really in work, but it is a it is a separate thing. But, you know, really getting everybody inspired and, and proudly saying, I'm a heliophysicist, what do you do? Yeah, you're doing a fantastic job <laughs> of it from someone in the field. And then finally, number four, what is one thing that you truly and fully screwed up? <laughs> um... Wow, probably, um, probably my first degree when I went to college. I, I did not pay it enough attention, which is probably one of the things that um, make me so hard on my, my son in particular, um, because I found everything really, really easy, and then I went to college, and I'd never been away from home, and I had a really good time, and I did not, I mean, I did okay, I didn't fail or anything, but I did not get the high, you know, the, the, the grade I probably should have done. And I definitely think I, I screwed up that opportunity. Now, I didn't, it didn't fortunately impact my later life because I, I actually left. Um, I said, uh, obviously, physics isn't for me. And so I went to, uh, to do a master's in engineering. And interestingly, while I was doing my master's, um, and I was working very hard, and actually I, I enjoyed it, but I was continually told by the professors you don't think like an engineer, you think like a scientist, you ask the wrong questions, you know, like, you need to be asking how, not why. And, and, you know, they kept saying, really, you're a scientist, you're a scientist. And so I, I went back to Imperial College, and, and um, my thesis, a wonderful thesis advisor, Stan Kelly, said, yeah, I think you're, I think they're right, I think you should do a PhD with me. And it could have, you know, I could have, definitely finished that first degree and gone off and got a job in something that was not related and maybe I would have been some doing something obviously I would have been doing something completely different but <laughs> but you know whether or not I'd be happy I don't know um, but I definitely think I did not pay enough attention and I do feel that I, I, I messed up that amazing opportunity um, but I recovered from it and so I, I definitely think I recovered see I recovered from it but um, I, I regret hmm. um, not doing what I tell my children to do, which is always work hard and, and do the best you can and don't be satisfied with just getting by. Um, and I think that's also something that I learned again from Barry Mark was he, he gave me um, two pieces of advice about being a project scientist. And he said, if you want to be a project scientist, one, work harder than anyone else. You know, if you want to be like the best, you want to own a, if you want to own a meeting, if you want to be the one that everybody turns to, work harder than everybody else and if you know the second thing was know more about the mission than any other person and he said you don't have to go deep into all of that you don't have to know more about everything but know more about the entire mission make sure you know 
what's going on with the propulsion system, what's the problem in avionics. You don't have to solve it, you don't have to understand it, but make sure you know. And he said, then you can guide a mission and a project because when you're working with a science team, you're the one who can say, hey, we need to do this here because of this issue down here. And you, you're always able to explain why, because often, you know, if you work on mission teams, you work more hours than you possibly can. You have to, you know, even when you think you finished, there's another two hours to go. And, and it, people, it's a very, very demanding thing. And you are going to demand these people are going to step up and work that hard. And so at least have the courtesy of knowing why you're asking them to do that. And so, um, you know, that kind of goes a little bit into I didn't work hard enough for my first degree. Um, and I, I've never made that mistake again. I've always worked incredibly hard and... And actually, I, and I find it very, very rewarding, but that would be the one I would probably say I regret. And, and, and for, for everyone, replace mission with, with anything that someone's thinking about, you know, the same yeah. lesson applies. I think it's a really fantastic way um, to finish today. And Dr. Nikki Fox, thank you so much for sharing your inspiring and, and really insightful experiences with us. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you very much.